You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Hello, my name's Joan, and I'm reading, my reading is from, or the reading's from Psalm 34. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. The word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Joan. I'm going to pray as we get into this today. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you today just thankful for these words from David and the way in which they instruct us. And God, we do confess that as we face trouble in this life, we're tempted to turn to other places besides you for our refuge. We're, we're, we're really just eager to find a life that is free of trouble. But God, we thank you that you have offered us something better to find refuge in you in the midst of it. And so I pray that as we study this psalm, you would transform us to be people who run to you when we face trouble. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Any of you guys remember that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Anybody? Yeah? Uh, it was Coen Brothers' film, I think came out in like 2000, and it was uh, this thing that sort of catalyzed this resurgence of old-timey country music for that time, and, and you might remember the most popular song from it was called, I'm a Man of Constant Sorrow. You guys remember that one? It, it went something like, 
I am a man of constant sorrow. I've seen trouble all my day. I bid farewell to old Kentucky, the place where I was born and raised. And then the backup guys go, the place where he was born and raised, right? <laughs> uh, and, and the song continues, for six long years I've been in trouble, no pleasures here on earth i found. For in this world I'm bound to ramble, I have no friends to help me now. He has no friends to help him now, right? It's fare thee well, my old lover, I never expect to see you again, for I'm bound to ride that northern railroad, perhaps I'll die upon this train, perhaps he'll die upon this train. You can bury me in some deep valley for many years where I may lay, then you may learn to love another while I'm sleeping in my grave, while he is sleeping in his grave. Maybe your friends think I'm just a stranger, my face you'll never see no more, but there is one promise that is given, I'll meet you on God's golden shore. He'll meet you on God's golden shore. And so this guy experienced nothing but sorrow all his days, but God's golden shore awaits him, which is this picture of kind of an escape from this world of trouble into paradise. And this golden shore, it's, it's, a, it's a picture of spending eternity with God. And to be sure, Christians do have a hope for our eternal future with God. Can I get an amen to that? We have absolute joyful hope. And it's going to be great. But what about now? What about now? Are we like the man in this song where we're just kind of ex never experiencing never-ending troubles until we go home to be with Jesus? Or is there a hope for present-day deliverance? The trouble-free life, I think we all must know at this point, it doesn't exist, right? Trouble-free life doesn't exist. This side of eternity, we are guaranteed to always face some trouble. The question is, how do we face it? You know, we often expect that if God were to deliver us from our troubles, that it would mean that we wouldn't have them anymore, right? Anybody think that way? If God's going to deliver me from my troubles, that means I don't have it anymore. I'm free from those troubles, that God would take away this pain. He would take away this depression. He would take away this conflict. He would take away this infertility or this unemployment or this cancer. And one day He will. Like I said, we have a future hope to look forward to. And yet the Bible promises something better for us in the present than God simply removing troubles from our lives today. He provides a way for us to face our troubles. God doesn't offer us a trouble-free life, but He does offer us a trouble-proof life. And we tried to post the title of this message on YouTube, and it wouldn't let us because I guess you're not allowed to use symbols. But if you want to imagine trouble proof and then a, a greater than sign, okay, that's what it would look like if YouTube would let us, and then trouble free. Trouble proof is better than trouble free. And this psalm shows us how God offers us a trouble proof life.
And here's what I mean. The, the, the psalm sounds like it's written by a person who is utterly secure and taken care of, and they have no want in the world. This person sounds trouble-free. And yet the context of when it was written and why it was written actually tells us a very different story. Some psalms do us the benefit of helping us understand them by actually telling us who wrote the psalm and why they wrote the psalm. And this psalm actually does both. Did you guys notice that at the beginning? You might have been like, what in the world is going on here at the beginning? It said first, and we'll get to the second part of this sentence, it said first, of David. Now this is King David. He's the author. And, and was he someone who was trouble-free? Anybody know the stories? <laughs> was he trouble-free? No, not even close. Exactly the opposite of being trouble-free. He was a man of constant sorrow, of constant trouble. He's seen trouble all his day. He's like that guy that we heard the song about in many ways. Think about this. Throughout King David's reign, he had kings from all the surrounding nations always coming to attack Israel and try and kill him. That's trouble. He, uh, then his, his son Amnon, who was the heir apparent to the throne of Israel, he rapes his own sister, his own sister, and is assassinated by his brother Absalom to avenge her afterward. These are all David's children. David's absolutely devastated. More trouble. Then Absalom, after killing his brother, turns the nation against the rightful king, against David, and he creates this conspiracy to take his father's throne. And for three years, David has to flee for his life. More trouble. But you might be going, well, that's after he was a king. I mean, more money, more problems, more power, more problems, right? What about before he was king? Was, was stuff a little better and more, more grounded then? No. It was just as bad. Before David became Israel's king, Saul reigned. And Saul, uh, without Saul's knowledge, God actually anointed David to be the next king. So he's kind of like the president-elect before the inauguration in, in a lot of ways. And once Saul found out, what do you think he did? He, he was, uh, I was going to use a word some people might not like if I used, uh, he, was, he was angry, I'll, I'll say that. He was angry, and of course he wanted to kill David. He saw David as a threat. And this went on for years. David uh, honored Saul, despite all of this. He refused to subvert Saul's authority or speak against him. And nonetheless, David was constantly running for his life from Saul, trying to avoid his death more and more trouble. And the problem is, David was running, but there wasn't really anywhere for him to go. You ever feel that way? Like you're trapped by your troubles? David had times of hiding in the wilderness, but sometimes he had to keep moving. He had to get more food and more water, or he had to avoid being found, and he had more trouble as he did. And Saul wasn't his only enemy. <laughs> Traveling in the region was extremely dangerous for him. And so these kings from all these surrounding nations, they wanted to kill him even before he was king. 
And at one point, David had to pass through this place called Gath. It's called Gath, and there was a guy who was a king there named Abimelech. Abimelech. And that is the context for this psalm that we just heard read. And that, that's the other part of the introduction that it, that it gave us. It said, when he, that's David, pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Pretty wild intro to a psalm, if you ask me, isn't it? This is referring to a time in 1 Samuel 21, 13, where David passes through Gath, and in order to avoid being killed or imprisoned, he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he had been uh, captured by them, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Wow, this is... Funny if it weren't scary, right? So David acted like he was nuts, and Abimelech yelled at his servants to get rid of this crazy person. Why have you brought him here, he said. Do I have a shortage of madmen in my kingdom that you had to bring this guy to me? He wasn't happy, but, but David's plan actually worked. David was actually able to pass through this hostile country unharmed, and after that, is when David wrote this psalm. And you might think the psalm would be just the blues, right? Like, wrote a song about it, like to hear it, hear it go, that kind of a thing. But this isn't blues, this is praise. This is praise. That's, this is the context where David says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Hang on, David. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Praise him at all times? Even when we're, you're teetering on the brink of death, David? Yes. Whoa, whoa, hang on, David. You're saying let the afflicted rejoice? Even when you're teetering on the brink of death and, and you're going to such extreme measures, you have to result to drooling on your own beard in order to survive? Even then, David? Yes. These things seem like contradictions, and yet through this psalm, we see that in order to deliver us from trouble, God usually delivers us through trouble. God doesn't offer us a trouble-free life. He offers us a trouble-proof life. And so I want to look at how God makes our lives trouble-proof, looking at the psalm more deeply in just a moment. But before we do, I just want to briefly address why we face trouble. Some of you guys might be thinking about that. And there are really three reasons that the Bible gives to us as to why we face trouble. And sometimes it's a combination of all of these things. Sometimes it's only one. First is our own sin. Sometimes we face trouble because it's really our own doing. You know, we've sinned and, and we're merely experiencing the consequences of our own sin. I drink too much. I eat too much. I don't take care of my own body. And eventually it catches up with me. Trouble. 
I spend too much, I don't save, I use credit cards for, and buy things that I can't afford, and before I know it, I have a pile of debt and no money to pay it back. Trouble. I'm lonely, I'm longing for intimacy and, and companionship, and so I give myself to people who only hurt me and harm me and, and won't actually make a commitment to me, and in the end, I just end up feeling shame, ashamed and full of guilt and used. Trouble. But we also face trouble because of other people's sin against us. Systems in society that are built on partiality and, and marginalize us as a person. Parents and people who are in authority who fail to use their power to bless, which is what God calls us to do. People in authority are supposed to use power to bless other people, but instead they use it to harm. We experience other people's sin like the betrayal of a close friend or family member, and we face trouble. And lastly, third reason why we face trouble, our world is broken. You know, we, we talked a few weeks ago about the fact that we are in a spiritual war, that there, there is brokenness and, and devastation and darkness in this world as a result of that. And even beyond that, just stuff happens, right? Our bodies fall apart and we get sick. Pandemics happen. Natural disasters occur. Economies are unstable. Our stinking cars break down, right? Stuff falls apart, and so we face trouble. All three of these reasons are why we face trouble, but what do we do? How does God make us trouble-proof? In other words, how does God deliver us? And the answer is, He gives us Himself in the middle of trouble. That's the answer. If you take nothing else away from today, Take that away. How does God make us trouble-proof? He gives us Himself. Let's see how this psalm reveals that to us. It says that we should take refuge in Him. He offers us Himself, and we can take refuge in Him in verses 8 and 22. And so we run to Him when we face trouble. We don't run to Ben and Jerry's or another bottle of wine. Those things are actually really terrible refuges, amen? <laughs> but God is a good refuge. Not only are those things not safe, they actually make matters worse, but running to God in the midst of our trouble, making Him our refuge, is a safe place. And we make God our refuge because we recognize that He sees us. Verse 15, do you notice that? He sees us. He's not unaware of what is happening in our lives, but He's sovereignly at work through it despite the evil that goes on in the world. And so we remember that He sees us, but He also sees evil. Verse 16, He sees it and He's against it. And God will one day blot out those, it said, who practice evil without regard for God or repenting of what they've done. But we also find refuge in Him, and He delivers us, and we are made trouble-proof when we remember that He hears us, verse 15 and verse 17, and He's attentive 
to our cries. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who is a really great listener? And when you're done with that conversation, you, you kind of walk away, you just feel heard by them. God's like that only better because he doesn't just hear us. He's actually attentive to our cries, and he delivers us from our troubles. This is repeated over and over again in the psalm, verse 7, verse 17, verse 18, verse 19. He delivers us from our troubles by being the safe place to turn when everything else is in chaos and falling apart. You run to God as your refuge because, as as David told you, you know that God isn't far away. He isn't ignoring what you're going through, but rather, like verse 18 says, He is close to us. He's especially close to us when we are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Verse 18, if you are brokenhearted today, if you are crushed in spirit today, this is your new memory verse. <laughs> God is close to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Write that thing down. Memorize that verse. How, so, so how does God make us trouble-proof? He gives us himself in the middle of trouble. This is most poignant in verse 8 where David said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? If not, it's probably because you haven't taken refuge in him. Because the way that we taste, I know this is a mixing of metaphors, the way that we taste is by taking refuge. Did you see that? You might say, well, but I I don't know if I can trust God. How do I know if He's good? How do I know He isn't going to mess this thing up for me worse than I already have or than has already happened to me? How can I be sure that I can trust Him? And the interesting thing about tasting something is that it's the only way to know for sure what it's like. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the great Puritan preacher, Jonathan Edwards, he said that experiencing the goodness of God by finding refuge in Him, it's a little bit like tasting honey. And he was talking about this verse in particular. He says you have to taste it for yourself. But let's pretend you've never had honey, okay? I'm guessing all of you have. I guess you're not supposed to feed it to children under two, but I'm guessing you have had honey. But let's pretend that you haven't had honey, and your friend says to you, oh man, you've got to try it. It's so, so good. And you say, well, but how can I know that it's actually good? And so your friend, just like they would tell you about a new restaurant or a movie, they go on to describe it to you so you'll understand. And so they say, honey is so, so good, it comes from bees regurgitating pollen. And you're like, what? Uh, uh, Then they tell you that it, it really is good. It's golden in color. It's a little bit sticky, but it's so, so sweet. And after they described it to you in this way, you might have some sense of what this strange substance was actually like. 
Or they could just put a drop of it on your tongue. Then you would know. You've got to taste it for yourself to know that it is sweet and delicious and it's unlike anything else. And you may have decided that you know what God is like because you heard about Him or you read about Him or you've thought about Him before. But you won't truly know Him until you've experienced what He's like for yourself. To know His goodness, to know His sweetness and the joy that comes from being uh, safe in Him, we must find refuge in Him for ourselves. We must trust Him enough to bring us through our troubles by trusting Him in the middle of our troubles. That is how we taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't wait till the troubles are over to trust Him. That's not trust, actually. (laughs) Trust is vulnerable. Did you notice how vulnerable David was in this psalm? He said that he sought the Lord. He said that he cried out to Him. He even said in verse 6, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. David said he was a poor man, or in other words, a wretched man, someone who is to be pitied in his circumstances. David was absolutely humbled before God, and he realized that he was helpless. And he recognized that the only way through his trouble was to cast himself on the Lord. And afterward, he experienced and exclaimed this truth Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. In other words, happy is the one who trusts in the Lord. When we're in the middle of trouble, we want a guarantee that everything is going to be okay. Then then I'll trust. If I can just get to the other end of this trouble, then I will trust God. But we find true happiness when we wholeheartedly cast ourselves onto him in the middle of it. I have a friend uh, named Jim who had colon cancer. And uh, at the time, he was a young guy. He was in his 30s. And cancer is terrible at any age, but you can imagine the shock and the devastation and, and just horror that he felt when he got this news. I mean, young guy in his 30s. He's got a wife and two young boys. He was legitimately scared for his life when the doctors told him that he was in grave danger of losing it. And aside from really resigning himself to the doctor's care, there was absolutely nothing he could do. He was helpless. And the day before the surgery, this feeling of helplessness just became completely overwhelming. He was laying on his sofa. His body was a wreck. He was feeling it worse than ever before. And in that moment, Jim ran to God. He went to God as his refuge, and he went to him through a prayer. He he cried out to God, and he said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't want to die like this. And seconds later, he'd barely begun praying. Seconds later, a friend from church called him and shared that he had been praying for Jim, and he was compelled to read 
Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 with him. And so he did. He read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And Jim says it's as if the Lord was reading him that passage personally. It was like the Lord's voice directly to him. And, and he was overwhelmed now, but not with the fear of dying, but with the joy of knowing that the Lord had heard him, that the Lord was attentive to his cry and was with him in the middle of it. And because he found refuge in God, he knew in that moment that no matter what happened, no matter what trouble he had, even to the point of death, he would be safe in God. And so now he was overwhelmed, but with the peace of knowing that everything was going to be okay. And by God's grace, Jim came through the operation well, and, and he healed up pretty quickly. And he told me about his first day back at home. He, he was in the shower, and he looks down at the scar 12 inches across his belly. And as he's looking at this scar, tears started welling up in his eyes. And Jim, Jim remembered how the Lord had been with him how the Lord had sheltered him in his presence before the surgery. And now, there he was in the shower of all places, right? Meeting with the Lord in the shower of all places, and the weight of the goodness of the Lord came crashing down on Jim in such a way that Jim broke out in tears of joy as he stood there. And he told me that the shower was one of those really tiny, small square ones, you know, but if it hadn't been, he would have fallen down on his face. Now, not, not all of our stories have the same resolution that Jim's story has. Not all disease gets healed in this life. Sometimes we're actually called to endure severe suffering for many many, many years. And perhaps you're even experiencing something right now where you're crying out to God and you're saying, I can't do it any longer. Like my friend Jim did. But you need to know that God is himself inviting you to himself. He's inviting you to trust him, to run to him, not running away from what you have to face, but running to him in the middle of whatever you're facing. So where do you need to trust God with your circumstances? Instead of running from what's in front of you, where do you need to ask him to be with you? To, to, where do you need to seek him in the middle of it? And maybe this whole message, you're going, I'm not facing trouble right now. Things are great. Praise the Lord. <laughs> that's, that's something to be very, very thankful for right now. But what I don't want you to think is that somehow you're bulletproof. And, and because you're not in a season of that at the moment, you'll never be. The, the psalm actually promises us that we eventually will face trouble. If we trust God and, and we live our lives for Him, which is another word for that is live righteously, 
we live rightly, we live the way that God has designed, it promises us that we will face troubles. It's guaranteed. Verse 19 and 20 said, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And, and in verse 19 in the ESV, this was the NIV that we've been looking at, it's, it's even more emphatic. It's not the word may. It's like a surefire thing. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Christian, we will face affliction. We will. We will endure many troubles, but the Lord delivers us from them all. Now, if we're, if we're going to get real here for a minute, we would really like that to say not uh, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all, but rather the righteous person will have no troubles, right? Amen? Wouldn't we rather it just said the righteous person will have no troubles? It seems fair. If I live a right life, I should have everything handed to me on a silver platter. Everything should be good, right? But as we said earlier, we live in a broken world. It's, it's full of sin and its effects, and we are full of sin and its effects, and so troubles we know will come. But here's what's so amazing. God isn't just near to us in our troubles. He is. That's what we've seen. But in order for, uh, to, for Him to deliver us from them, He experienced them Himself. He experienced them Himself, despite the fact that Jesus was sinless, right? Despite that fact, He's, he's the most righteous person to have ever lived. And yet, He took our troubles onto Himself. In fact, Scripture describes him as a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. And so when you run to God in your trouble, you are in good company. Jesus is with you. And we are told that Jesus actually fulfilled this promise. Verse 20, not one of his bones will be broken. The Gospel of John tells us, that after Jesus was crucified, the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, and so they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead because he'd been beaten so badly and tortured for so long and hung there for so long. He was already dead. They didn't have to break his legs. They didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water just to be sure that he was dead. And these things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Jesus proves this psalm true. He proves that it's true. None of his bones were broken. In and far more than David was ever delivered from death, Jesus was ultimately delivered from death. He rose from death never to die again, which gives confidence to those of us uh, who take refuge in Him. Nothing can trouble us beyond death. 
The way that Scripture says it is if God is for us, who can be against us? What's the worst thing that can happen? That's a legit question for us Christians. What is the worst thing that can happen to us? Our lives are trouble-proof. Because like Jesus, we will one day rise never to die again. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He will deliver us out of all of our afflictions, out of all of our troubles. We know that He will return and He will judge the living and the dead. And He will make all things new. And He will wipe away every tear from every eye. Death will be no more. Disease will be no more. Sorrow will be no more. What is the worst that can happen to us? God doesn't just offer us a trouble-free life, but today He offers us a trouble-proof life. He offers us Himself. And friend, we can take refuge in Him. He invites us to trust in Him. If your community group is still working through questions Throughout the summertime, some of our community groups are doing more informal gatherings. That's what we like to do in the summer, get some neighbors over, have some barbecues, hang out. Uh, but if you are going to work through questions, I'm going to give you some questions for, for this message to, to ponder this a little bit more. When have you run to God as a refuge in the middle of your troubles? In other words, when, tell, tell your story. Where, where are some times where you've run to God? And secondly, what troubles are you facing right now? that you need to run to God to deliver you through. Let's pray and then let's respond to God together. Father, we thank you that we can have absolute confidence in our hope that one day we will spend eternity with you free from all of our troubles. And we thank you that you make that hope a reality for us today and that you give us yourself as we face the troubles that we will in this world. We praise you, as, as David said, at all times. We want to always have your praise on our lips. We want to extol you and praise you with, uh, with one another, God. And so we pray that you would empower that praise today and, and as we do that it would cause us to trust in you more fully as we sing, as we respond to you, as we return to you in communion. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.